Welcome back, loyal listeners. This is T. Cole Newton coming at you pre-recorded from my Mid-City Bar 12-mile limit. With me, as always, is my adorable co-host, Mr. Steve Yamato. Great to have you all back. Uh, we've uh, got a fantastic uh, guest here before, a brand new bartender to the city. Um, you know, <laughs> I hope that you guys That's all awesome. get to know him as well as uh, we know him. Um, I, I hope that he succeeds and he uh, develops this great reputation, you know, finds his fame and fortune in this industry. Um, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, sir? Hey, uh, <clears throat> nice to see you guys. My name is uh, Chris Hanna. I'm the head bartender at the French 75 Bar uh, in the French Quarter, Bienville and Bourbon, Arno's Restaurant. Awesome to be here. Cool. Excellent. I think we're uh, digging back deep. I mean, like, uh, we, we, we've we interviewed some bartenders who are a little bit newer. Um, me and Cole are a little bit newer in the industry as well, too. Uh, when I think about you, Chris, you're kind of... You're kind of second wave. I mean, if you think about like Chris and Lord McMillan back in the day, and as long as Paul Gustings has been around too, uh, I kind of consider you as being a, a second wave moving on here and everything. So I'm good, like, I'm good with second wave. Second wave. I'm, I'm yeah. like a third or four wave. I, I figure maybe I might be a rogue wave. That could be a thing. Rogue <laughs> wave. <laughs> well, it's, you're, you're an interesting because you've been bartending a lot longer than I have, Steve, but you've specifically been doing cocktail bartending only about, what, six or seven years now? Correct. So it's an interesting, like, are you a... Is that your second wave because you started bartending 15 years ago? Or your third wave because you started cocktail bartending six or seven years ago? Yeah. It's really, I don't know anything about right, this designations, to be perfectly honest. Right. Um, so uh, let's just dig in here real quick. Uh, uh, so Chris Hanna, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? How did you uh, find yourself in the profession of bartending? And uh, how did you find yourself in New Orleans? Well, um, I was finishing night school in Raleigh, North Carolina. And uh, that was in the 90s. And... I was running a kitchen in the AM, and I picked up uh, barback shifts, and I realized, uh, I mean, even though I loved the kitchen, the excitement of being in the bar was pretty awesome, so I moved from uh, barbacking, obviously, to bartending, and then I, after I finally graduated, I went to Duck News Cafe and uh, worked at a nicer restaurant, and I kind of liked the cocktail making, and that was in the late 90s, and then I moved to Baltimore for four years, where I got my real job, but I still bartended three nights a week, and I realized that I liked the front of that uh you know, helping guests get along with their stay. So I came down here to New Orleans because I like the culture and I was really done with Everyday USA. So I came down here in 04 and started the French 75 bar. Cool. Awesome. So a couple things I, I want to touch on there. I think uh, you threw a couple really interesting points out. Um, so first of all, uh, you said you went from the restaurant you were at beforehand. Do you want to name that restaurant? Oh, yeah. Uh, T.S. Elliott. So I was the uh, AM kitchen manager there. It's a really nice restaurant in Raleigh. Okay, awesome. And uh, then you said you were working at a bar there, and then you went to another nicer place, and you started making cocktails. And this was in the 90s. Um, what kind of cocktails were those? Were those what we think of as cocktails now, or was that like that late 90s? martini surge that was right. happening. Yeah, it was the uh, it was the martini surge. It's the cocktails we kind of make fun of now. I feel bad about that. But w- What was your signature cocktail there? Um, rinsing a Bombay Sapphire shaken martini with vermouth and uh, olive juice. Nice. nice. So a classic, light, dirty, extra dry gin martini. <laughs> yeah. Not that, I mean, that's a that's a tasty drink. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's not like uh, I was. I was kind of hoping for like chocolatini with like oh. candied strawberries. On yeah, top or apple tini all day. Yeah, which are also let's be fair, they're delicious. They taste right. like candy. Cool. Uh, so and then you <laughs> thanks. <laughs> you said that you uh, started your real job up in Baltimore. What was that job? Uh, I was in the accounting department for an architecture firm. Rad. So you have an accounting degree? No, no, no. Business administration degree. I was just in the accounting department. Business administration. Yeah, yeah. All right. Cool. But yeah. I got my bachelor's. Right on. Right on. All right. So um, what were your experiences with New Orleans before you moved down here? So the um, I, I have a hard time myself being able to separate New Orleans and Chris Hanna because I think that you were, to me, very ingrained with the culture of the city. You've embraced it very much. You're uh, always participating in and, and in the know of things that are like important to this city, and you're a huge supporter vocally of it as well. Um, how did you get involved with the city, or what were your experiences before you moved down here as well that enamored you with it in New Orleans? Uh, well, whenever I visited, I mean, I've always been an old soul, and I've always liked jazz, and Louis Armstrong was always my hero, but I didn't know that I could like, get much more attached to him until I realized I could move down here. So, you know, I've always listened to jazz when I was in Baltimore, and then I visited, you know, in '02. And, um, you know, I went to Frenchman Street and it was just obviously like not how it is right now, but I mean, just hearing all that, all the music and, you know, all the horns. And, and then the more I realized the jazz from New Orleans is more like the blues, you know, songs actually not just sitting there where it's really quiet and you just clap at the end. But, you know, all these amazing songs were, were down here. So um, I decided to move down here. And then when I did, I just saw the street culture 
and that's why you know I love going to the second lines. I mean, and uh, supporting supporting that part and realizing you know that you can find out when these things are going on and you know just being a part of it and it's just like the culture of the city that of the reason why i actually moved here yeah that's that's pretty cool like when i moved down here it really was just to get out of i, I i'm from north carolina originally so i realized wanting to get out of north yeah, carolina right. <laughs> so uh, uh i moved down here because just very far away from where i grew up and i was just like okay cool and I, I think there was a connection initially when i moved down here like this is weird this is different why aren't all these old things torn down and turned into high rises yet right. because that's the mentality and a city like Charlotte or Nashville or Atlanta is just a, yeah. you know, don't preserve any of that historical stuff. Just make something new and shiny. Um, so I think it took me a lot longer, especially going to Tulane, which is like this huge bubble that just blocks you from like right. any cultural like interactions in New Orleans. Um, it took me a lot longer to actually appreciate the city a lot more. I do like the idea you're talking about the street life and the musical culture as it is outside of clubs or, or music venues. One of the things I like to tell people about New Orleans that really sets us apart from the rest of the world, I guess, maybe not the world, I'm sure there are places in Latin America that, that share this, but that you can find much better jazz music being performed live on street corners in New Orleans by buskers than you can find in the highest end jazz clubs in most other American cities. Yeah. It's really a magical thing that we have here that I can't think being, I mean, like I said, there's another, you probably find that in Cuba. I've never been, but uh, or Rio perhaps, but not in any other American city that I can think of. Totally agree. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> All Just right. bragging on New Orleans again, you know, like we do. And a big fan. So 2004, you started at uh, Arnaud's, right. right? Were you immediately at the French 75 bar at Arnaud's or did you start someplace else? I was, uh, I was at the French 75 on Saturdays and then the other four nights I was... In the Richelieu bar. Okay. Uh, were you? Did you? Did you start off as the head bartender? Oh no, dude. <laughs> who, was, who was the head bartender at the French Seventy Five before Chris Santa? Uh, it was uh, Bobby Oaks and um, and Tito Brown. They were the head bartenders. Bobby Oaks was the main guy. Uh, he was there fifteen years before I got there, and uh, he he had a, obviously had a real job as well. Um, and so he was only Fridays and Saturdays, and those were the only important nights. I mean, the other days of the week, there's only one person in the bar. <laughs> so That's certainly changed over the yeah, years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's been pretty crazy. Um, so I would work Fridays and Saturdays there with Bobby, which was cool because he would uh, teach me all these drinks. I had no idea, you know, what these what these drinks were down here. I mean, I, went, I applied at a <clears throat> Dickie Brennan's Steakhouse, and when they asked me to fill out the ingredients that were in these cocktails, I was just like, what isn't a milk punch? You've got to be kidding me. And it was like, I don't, I didn't know what a Pim's cup was in the Sazerac. I was just like, I've been bartending at a nice restaurant for almost six years now. Mm-hmm. And I've never heard of these drinks. And I was like, <clears throat> they didn't hire me. I walked down the street and Arnold's hired me. <laughs> 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 and Bobby Oaks trained me. That's really crazy. I, uh, that's, that, that, that reminds me of two things for myself as well. Like, um, I, I had been bartending for maybe eight years or so, or like for corporate restaurants. And I remember, uh, the first time I went to the Violet Hour, I just like you know my face melted. Yeah. Like, and like going there and cure at first, it was just like, oh my god, I'm such a shitty bartender. Like, what have I been doing with my life up until this point? Um, and the first job I ever applied for in uh, New Orleans when I dropped out of school, um, that wasn't. I was doing catering before that, but I tried to get a job at the Hard Rock Cafe because I thought it'd be really cool when the Hard Rock Cafe was on Decatur Street. And uh, I got straight up told that uh, I didn't have the hard rock look. <laughs> so, <laughs> probably didn't have that rad goatee there. Yeah, I wasn't. I, I didn't. I think it was clean shaven. And then <laughs> I ended awesome. up at the Bubba Gum Shrimp Company. Like, I crossed the street oh, and was wow. like, hey, are you awesome. guys hiring right now? It's like, sure. What do you know about the movie Forrest Gump? Wow. <laughs> Um, yeah, I kind of felt the same way. I'd been doing some high-end bartending, not nearly as long or as much as you had by the time when I moved down to New Orleans, but I took a job. My first New Orleans bartending job was at Commander's Palace, and they had drinks on the menu. Like a, They had a smash on the menu, and they had uh, Sazerac on the menu, and they had other classic cocktails that I'd like you had never heard of before and had no real appreciation for. It took a long time for me to even develop a taste for a lot of these drinks. Right. The only one of those classics that was on the menu then that I had heard of because it was covered when I went to bartending school because I think it was it was considered one of those old people drinks was the Stinger. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love it. Yeah, I still love it. It's a yeah. great Stinger is awesome. <laughs> You had good company, bro. You had Danny Valdez, Ricky Gomez. Yeah, it was right after Ricky left was around the time I came on. So he was his, his legend was sort of just beginning in my mind. But I would actually work with Ricky later at Loa. But yeah, Danny Danny Valdez, uh, he definitely, I, I got to give him a lot of credit for one of the reasons 
like that I that I took a shine to bartending the way I did that he t- he took it very seriously he knew all the classics he also was very technically proficient and right. we didn't sacrifice speed for quality the way and you you couldn't at commanders because it was so high volume but that that was a really he he was an excellent mentor that year and we worked together for about a year before I I went and hopped over and joined Ricky at Loa so it was still in the family too I uh, um but yeah so hey Danny if you're listening thanks <laughs> <laughs> much appreciated right so Chris coming up um you had these gentlemen who uh definitely showed you some things while you were at the French 75 do you feel that um, you got more, uh, you learned more from bartending through mentorship or through, uh, research. Did you have to kind of teach yourself or did you have people who showed you the way? I, I was lucky to have, uh, mentorship, uh, especially because, you know, McMillan trained Bobby Oaks. Oh, I did not know that. Before. Yeah. So, and McMillan worked at the French 25 bar also, hmm. as well as the Richelieu. So, McMillan on, uh, Fridays and Saturdays when he would finish, uh, the library bar, he would come by to the French 25 bar. We would close, and only me, McMillan, Bobby Oaks would sit there and talk about cocktails. So I, I had a, I had a very lucky situation where I was at, like, you know, my eyes were open to, to the whole scene. I had no idea that there was this, you know, all these cocktails out there. And so then I just started buying books, <clears throat> going to tales of the cocktail the first three years that I was here. And the community was just insane. So after, after my, the mentorship that I was really lucky to have, it was definitely research, yeah. Right on. What was the first cocktail book you you bought? Um, Vintage Spirits and Forgotten Cocktails. That was my first cocktail yeah. book. <laughs> 2004 was the year it came out. I actually, uh, I think I've told this story on the show before, but the first time I met Chris Hanna, um, I used to have, I found a copy of um, Ted Haig's book, uh, Vintage Cocktails and Forgotten Spirits, at the Kitchen Witch in the oh, uh, French awesome. Quarter. I used to, um, I, I haven't done this in a while, but I used to make it a habit to go to all the used bookstores and look for old New Orleans travel guides and old cookbooks and old uh, cocktail books, which is a lot harder to find nowadays. Right. Um, but I found that on, on the rack. It was a first edition, and I was, like, flipping through, and I was like, oh, this is, this is crazy. Like, I, I want to try some of these drinks. So I used to uh, put Post-it notes in there to, like, take notes about drinks that, like, I had tried or drinks that I was ready to try. And the first time I met Hannah... Uh, who Ted names twice in that book, I believe, for the Arnaud special cocktail right. and for the French 75. Uh, it's, uh, I had worked up the gall on a cocktail tour with my friend, uh, Sean McCann, and, uh, we had gone to Iris to go see Alan Walter while he was there, and then we went to the Carousel Bar, and then we were at the French 75. And I remember asking if I could, uh, I asked if, I, if Chris Hanna was here, uh, to a gentleman wearing just a Hanna name tag. Oh, on that's it. awesome. He said, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> That's you. That's cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He mentions um, he mentions my name twice, and it's really funny to, for me to talk about it because he's really making fun of me each time. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. He, he basically says we don't know how to make the Arno special cocktail, and then he also makes fun of me with the uh, French seventy five. Well, he also thought that the uh, the seal box was, uh, yeah, was a real cocktail. That's right? a bummer, dude. <laughs> it's a real cocktail. It's just not a real it. historic cocktail. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not vintage or forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> um, my first cocktail book, actually, I, I'm, it's come into reprint recently, but my parents wound up... My parents were very... Like, they kept vermouth in the fridge. They had bottles of green and yellow chartreuse and Galliano in the liquor cabinet. They were very sophisticated. My grandfather had a Lewis bag that he used for making mint julep. Oh, so when people talk awesome. about the, like, the death of cocktails during the pro- post-prohibition through the 90s, it's like, yeah, but there were a lot of people who, who kept the tradition alive in their homes. My family That's is cool. definitely among those people. And it's one of the reasons I, I fell so easily into fancy pants bartending. But they had a copy of an original copy from 1904, I think, of Classic American Cocktails. That's a book that you can find now, uh, reprinted the the um, uh, the Cocktail Kingdom. Mm. They they sell it now, and I saw it there, and I was like, oh man, this is that was important. I didn't, I had no <laughs> idea the significance of it. But I read, all the cocktails in it are arranged alphabetically, and I remember just like everyone in my family was like, first drink is an absinthe cocktail. That's so funny. But it was it was really just a classic. You know, cocktail format, bitter sugar, a little bit of water, absinthe. It was mm-hmm. probably really good. I've actually never made a classic absinthe cocktail. But, uh, uh, yeah, I gotta, I gotta ask my mom if she still has that book around somewhere. I'm sure she does. <laughs> might be, might be worth a little bit of money at this point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, all right. I gotta go with them for us, guys. Let's, uh, real quickly, the aha moment cocktail. Okay. So we all kind of, we had bartending experience before we started doing fancy cocktails and then we had a uh, fancy cocktail experience. What was the drink that you sat down? Somebody made you who you kind of, it's kind of like figured out. It's like, I think this person's a better bartender than I am. And then you try to drink or spirit and you're like, Oh my gosh, I've got like a lot to learn. It kind of opens your eyes. 
Go ahead, Cole. I think the first for me, at least in terms of looking at classic cocktails that Again, my parents were were pretty were pretty steeped in that culture, so they they taught me from a very young age how they liked their martini, how they liked their Manhattans. We we sort of mixed drinks for them as kids. It was all very Betty Draper. Um, <laughs> and I think as an adult, the biggest eye opener for me was the first time I had a really good mojito. And it was while I was still in college. I was probably twenty. 122 at the time i just looked up a recipe online (laughs) and i was like oh these these drinks are in right now and so i actually i i I futzed around with it a little bit until i got until i figured out how to make it in a way that i liked but that was the first time it wasn't even it wasn't a somebody who made it for me it was just seeing i think it was james bond and that uh that last (laughs) pierce brosnan james bond movie where he goes to cuba that one that's just a ripoff of other better james bond movies oh yeah it's like do we need another global death laser powered by diamonds <laughs> Haven't we seen that in another even slightly better James Bond movie? Because Diamonds Are Forever wasn't very good, but it's better than Die Another Day. <laughs> Anyhow, that movie did open my eyes to Mojito, so I was like, I should try and make that. And eventually I figured out how to do it, and I was like, this is really good. We should, why? Uh, there, is there more? <laughs> and that was sort of the eye-opener. This was in college? Yeah, this was when I was in college. Okay, so then towards like, the end of college, so probably oh four, maybe oh five. So then your friends were hitting you up for mojitos all the time. Right? Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Cole, make yeah, it. I was great. I was, I was through mojito parties. Oh god, <laughs> I wow. did not realize at the time. What you got, Hannah? Um, I guess I have I have two times the uh, the aha moment. The first time was when somebody like made me make them an Italian surfer, and I'm like. What, what do you? This is so weird, you know. It was like amaretto, and then there was like uh, Captain Morgan lemon, and you sh- uh, shook it, and it actually was kind of balanced. And then you got, and I was like, oh, that's right, you know, Italian surfer. And then you got what? Obviously the rum being the beachy thing, you know, and then amaretto being the Italian. I was like, oh wow, the names actually play along with the ingredients. That's kind of cool. But the aha moment for when I thought I was like, oh, wow, this guy's got something going on, was uh, the first time I had Paul Gusting's Angostura Phosphate. And I was like, yeah. that was like, after that, I was like, okay, this is pretty, this is pretty cool. Yeah, was that over at Two Jacks? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a good one. I remember like him being on a soapbox for so long, but like, this is extinct acid phosphate, you can't get it, blah, blah. Oh, and yeah, now you can yeah. get it on an Amazon. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's kind of one of those funny things with like that second wave of cocktails or everybody before when they're like, I've got this vintage bottle and it's the right. last of everything and you'll yeah. never, never have it again. Like, Ohen was a, we talked about Ohen on the show before or someone now we talked about that on a different radio show <laughs> but um uh it's like oh we can't get ohen and now like sazerac's making an ohen so it's like oh, i've got access to something right yeah it's cool to have the old bottles though so um mine would probably be i and I, this is this is probably pretty pretty much the same for a lot of people getting craft cocktail bartending but the last word cocktail the first time i had the last word um i I'd had chartreuse before chartreuse was like that uh, dare shot at a lot of the dive bars I used to go to, like they kept it ice cold, and it's like it's like, oh yeah, well it's your birthday, it's time for a shot of chartreuse, and it's like, gross, <laughs> so strong. You know? go to Chuck's? Uh, not Chuck's. No, I, I wasn't cool enough to hang out at Chuck's. I was at uh, Club Decatur and the Circle Bar and Snake Club. and Jake's a lot. Wow, Club Decatur, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't when it was getting shot up all those times. <laughs> right, right. How many t- how many guns were held at you at, at Club Decatur? Not held at me, but uh, shot in my general direction uh, two. <laughs> <laughs> okay, damn. Yeah. Um, but um, chartreuse is good stuff. Yeah. So the uh, the last word one um, like I, I was really getting into ratios of classic sours and cocktails and and things like that. But um, then when somebody was making this drink for me, they were explaining to me how it's an equal proportion cocktail and like it shouldn't really work out, but it does work out. And then like there's all these other drinks that people can you can substitute things out of it really easily, and it doesn't change the change the the cocktail really it changes the flavor of the cocktail but still balances which is really kind of amazing as far as like cocktails go there's not too many like equal proportion cocktails that are sours especially that work out really well so that was kind of like a this is weird and different i like the debate on the uh equal parts oh yeah you want to switch up the recipe i mean i've never been in equal parts but if you go to chicago it's like people have t-shirts yeah, you know what I mean. They get they have a huge debate up there in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. About e- equal parts or not equal parts. Yeah, for the last word specifically. Yeah. yeah, no, that that came up. I remember when we we just had the Southern Regional Conference down here, and there was a seminar on Robert's Rules of Order, and one of the we we did a sort of a, a training about how to manage these types of conversations, and the the example that they used was whether or not we should change the official recipe for the last word. Oh, wow. 
it for the USBG to equal <laughs> from equal parts. It is currently equal parts, and I that is the hill I will die on. I think it should be an equal parts cocktail. I think it's perfectly balanced, and I love it as is. At twelve mile limit, it will always be equal parts. I, well, I, if you get it from me, I don't demand all my bartenders do everything exactly the same way that I do. I yeah. will. I will one hundred percent agree to never change the recipe. <laughs> I mean, Seriously, I mean, but I, I will make it differently. But as far as a written down recipe in USBG cocktail book, mm. it has to be equal parts. Okay, right. Look at that because, because history. I mean, yeah, why would you change that? Right. Because tastes change over time. I mean, people people make drinks a lot differently than they did 100 years ago. That's a good point, too, though. Like, um, when you walk into a bar, um, there's there's almost this trend now that, like, there's a lot of bartenders who seem to think they know better. Uh, so if I'll go, I've been to bars before where I go in and it's like, oh, you know, I just want a Negroni, you know, I want a big ice cube and... You know, I just just want something simple, and then I see this bartender making this drink, and it's like they put in like two ounces of gin, and like you know, like one ounce, like two ounces of gin to one ounce of vermouth, one ounce of Campari, and they throw like a dash of orange bitters inside of it. It's like, what are you, what are you doing? That's, yeah. that's <laughs> it's like you're not. I, I just wanted to go. So, well, this is the way I make it because I think that when I use this gin, it bounces out. But it's like I don't care what you want right now. I, just, <laughs> I, I, I ordered a standard classic cocktail because I yeah. wanted the standard classic way. It's a there's a fine line of like you know making it your way and then just making a completely different cocktail. I've got a good uh, <laughs> I've got a good equal proportion cocktail uh, story. Uh, the Bijou is an equal proportion cocktail, isn't it? Am I wrong on that? I don't. I do one and a half gin and then <laughs> and then three quarter, three quarter. I'm gonna say equal proportion on this one. But <laughs> what are the oh, other yeah, components yeah. of the Bijou? I actually don't know that one by rote. It's, uh, I think it's like when you read it, it's it's one and a half to half half or one to half half. Okay. No, but what are the other uh, ingredients oh, beyond char- the gin? Chartreuse, sweet vermouth. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, uh, one of the first, uh, I didn't want one of the first trips, but I, I ended up going to Kentucky to volunteer for the first uh, bourbon classic that was up there. And uh, I ended up splitting a room with Chris Hanna. And uh, <laughs> I got in a day before Chris Hanna got oh, in. Oh, man. And I got wrecked. We went to, like, Knocked Bar, and yeah. I just I just went a little bit whiskey crazy. It's like everybody was like, check out this bonded whiskey you can't get outside of Kentucky. And I, I was so hungover the next day and just, like, trying to fight not being hungover. So uh, I, I'm just a mess. I'm, like, passed out on my bed. And all of a sudden, Chris comes walking in in, like, a mustard yellow shirt with a really nice hat on. And he's super chipper. He's like... Word, how you doing, dude? <laughs> and I'm like, not so good, Chris. Could you please let me sleep for like another two or three hours? And oh, he's like, that was awesome. And yeah, uh, <laughs> and he says, he says, oh, I've got something that'll make you feel better. So he goes to the mini bar and grabs a glass and opens up a flask and pours out a bijou cocktail and sits it right next to me on the nightstand. And then he leaves the room and I, I start smelling this drink and I just run straight to the bathroom, just, <laughs> just violently puking. <laughs> like it's just, it's, 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 it's oh, that's awesome. not, not the thing I needed at that time. But yeah, <laughs> thanks, Chris. Thanks right. for that. <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask you what was the what was the cocktail menu like at the French seventy five bar when you started there? Was it mostly classics? Were there some original cocktails on there? What was uh what was this that uh, scene like? Or was it was it still in, in, infested? Of, not that there was was it were the, were there still remnants of that everything teeny sort yeah. of nineties style? Yeah, there was. There was the woo woo, and uh, the, the the weird thing is. There was it was woo woo yeah, wow yeah, <laughs> that's I know, amazing woo woo um, flirtini um, obviously the lemon drop uh, French martini and then the French twenty five and the sazerac but what was was <laughs> it's so weird though it's just like you look at that and then their brunch menu was all classics and it's like how did you mix those up. Huh. <laughs> Well, I, I guess I guess because those brunch cocktails were probably be, be, being made in the restaurant for such a long period of time, right? right. But then the French seventy five bar is the French seventy five bar is newer than the restaurant, right? It was made in the eighties. Um, it, it was always a room for the restaurant, but it was you're right. It was turned into a bar in the eighties. Yeah. Okay. But it was a, it was a bar lounge in the fifties uh, sixties only for men. Okay. And in the seventies it closed, and in the eighties it was reopened. Okay. Yeah. That's crazy to think there were like men only like bars and things like that. that that's up in where the 50s they got its 60s. name, the grill room. That's what they call grill rooms. Where I mean, I mean, that's just what I heard. Grill rooms were gentlemen's only places. Huh. And you know, the lady Jermaine Wells, you know, she was the only woman allowed in there. So, you know, she would love attention. So that was her way of getting it. <laughs> yeah. In the grill room, at she the, would at walk the, in. She would walk in there in her night nightgowns and everything because she lived. She lived right upstairs, and then she lived on uh, Charters and Esplanade. Huh. Nice. You ever so, seen her museum upstairs? 
Yeah, 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 yeah that's amazing. If you haven't seen it, y'all, um, for anybody who hasn't been to New Orleans or hasn't spent an inordinate amount of time at the French 5 Bar, there's a free Mardi Gras museum that's upstairs that's fantastic, especially like late at night. It's dimly lit. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty. <laughs> it's 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 creepy. It's a little bit creepy, but in like a really good way. Just like, you know, this is like somebody's collection, like adoringly put out there. And it's a very unfiltered look at like, you know, Mardi Gras back in the day, which is, you know, <laughs> not always the uh, the happiest thing in the world, but it's like yeah. it's it shows a little bit of that uh, that class uh, separation, right? Yeah, you're right. Um, cool. So, yeah, let's get you out there. You got something? <laughs> uh, nothing about that specific. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, though. Yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, let let's talk about when did you take over as head bartender of the French Seventy Five? Um, after the hurricane. Okay. Yeah, like, Bobby Oaks uh, didn't come back, and Tito, <clears throat> when he came back, he you know was finishing nursing school, and it was still one person a night. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Even, and and then we didn't have two on Saturdays and Fridays. It was extremely slow. So I was the only one available to work uh, five nights. How and, long after the storm before the French seventy five bar reopened? Um, the last week of December. So that would, it was closed, what, September, October. So about four months. Yeah. Hmm. Was the uh, curfew still in place at that point? Um, I got back the week, the first week of January. Okay. So the week of, the last week of December, I'm not sure about the curfew. I, I really forgot about the curfew. Yeah. I, I remember getting back. I think I got back around the first week of January yeah, as well. School, and, yeah. Right? No, no. I, tried, I dropped out long before oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, no. Uh, I, I do remember, though, because uh, like I wandered into like the restaurant I worked at. And I was like, hey, you guys need somebody? It's like, yeah, grab a broom. <laughs> oh, right on. And uh, I remember we could only work like a certain hours. Like we couldn't, we had to open the restaurant up like at noon and then we couldn't keep it open past like six because everybody had to be off the streets by like eight o'clock or something like oh, that right and I, I don't do not quote me on those numbers but yeah. i just remember like national guard would come out and you were not supposed to be on the streets at that point right yeah national guard was still there you're right cool they run so when you arrived back at the french 75 bar um and then you know uh your your former mentor is he's moved on and everything like that what was your what was your how did you reopen the bar like what were did you just go with the menu that was in place already or did you say did you start making changes immediately um there was no menu <clears throat> we just we just didn't have a menu i uh, just kind of talked them into the, like not promoting drinks like the flirtini and it's like you know things are changing you know um next tales of the cocktail is like really eye-opening and uh i just realized i had to start um bringing ingredients in because the restaurant was, they just weren't ordering chartreuse anymore, or maraschino, and the only way for me to make any of those drinks, the new ones that were popular, like the Aviation, the Last Word, Corpse Survivor, <clears throat> was if I had my own, my own bottles hidden in the hallway. So, <laughs> and then they agreed. It was like, okay, people are asking for these when you're gone. So it's like, yeah, you should probably start buying them now. And, <laughs> and so then, so years, crazy to think about. <laughs> yeah, it was weird, really weird. Yeah. So, um. Would you say that with uh, with such an established restaurant as well, with a very regular clientele, was there pushback to changes you were making at the French New Five? Did you have people who came in and they were like, "What do you mean the woo woo is not on the menu oh. anymore?" It's like, "You still make me that woo woo. It's my favorite thing here." No, <clears throat> no, we still made them the uh, French martinis and the flirtinis. Uh, there was no pushback when, and we never we didn't have a, a menu until like a, a year and a half later. Uh, 2007 was a was a was the next time they actually had a printed menu. Okay, 2007. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, and those were all your drinks on that menu at that point? Uh, yeah. Our drinks, classics. I mean, the Corpse Survivor was on there. It was still new to the city, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, a lot, I mean, half were mine. I mean, half were classics, so. Mm-hmm. So, I guess it's a little bit hard to quantify as well, but um, I think when, you know, Imbibe Magazine started coming out, um, and when a lot of these, you know, Ted Hag's book came out right. as well, and all these <laughs> other people... Uh, you became you and the French seventy five bar became a little bit of a lightning rod where people could go to for stories on a regular basis. Um, right. So you got published a lot very quickly, um, and which contributed to your vast legend, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess, um, do you see there being a reason for that, or you think that was kind of a lightning in the bottle situation? Well, that was also the time when uh, writing about bar- bartenders became popular. You know, it's like I guess I always associated it with. The writers already wrote enough about chefs and wanted to move on, so bartenders were the next thing to talk about. And at the time, uh, they were, 
they would uh, seek out who was actually making things interesting and, you know, not necessarily new, but like part of this like creativity curve. And so, you know, that they would go to the French 25 bar, they would mention it and it was in all these magazines. So people would, when they traveled, they would do their research and they would go to the bar. Cool. And so bartenders became the next celebrities. We were just like following the celebrity chef wave. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we were talking on our last episode, uh, two episodes back actually, um, with um, uh, Mike Jones from Atlanta um, after the Southern Regional Conference. And uh, we were saying that, you know, as far as bar personalities go, um, we don't have somebody who is equal to that celebrity chef status. Like, we don't have a Gordon Ramsay of the bar industry. Not really. Like, right. John Taffer is about as close as it gets. And <laughs> it's not even really a bartender at this point. You know, he's just more of a more of a personality and a talking head. Um, I would put you up there, Chris, a little bit. Like, you know, like, there's certain people you're like, uh, if you had to look at, like, you know, people are going to say Dale DeGroff, of course, and, like, you know, Dave Wandrich or something like that. But I think to a lot of people, especially in this community, you are the, the famous celebrity bartender. Um, do you have any opinions about, like, you know, what kind of holds back that, like, you know, what's that separation between, like, that celebrity chef or, like, like if I put you and John Besh in a room together in, like, Oklahoma, there's a good chance somebody's going to recognize John Besh, but they not, <laughs> might not recognize you. Right. So uh, what, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think if you're asking about, like, the whole, I guess, characterness and, like, celebrity part, just, I, I mean, I've held, I've held down the job for 13 years of wearing a white jacket, so there's so many pictures, and, like, apparently white jackets aren't all, all around the world, I mean, the country, and so there's something unique about that, and then also, I guess, you know, I've, I wanted to dress like Danny Barker, and so, you know, Louis Armstrong, look, <laughs> this cat's, like, I mean, their style was awesome, and so, I, I mean, like, whenever I go somewhere, I guess people think there's something unique about maybe my persona or whatever, and um, I've always been a fan of this city because you can be a character in here. It's such a small town. Mm-hmm. You know, we always we all have a role. It's like I always think that this uh, the city is a play, and you just wake up and that's your job. And so I'm a bartender, and you know, and I like to dress like Danny Barker. He's a hero of mine. I'm going to ask for Cole because I'm sure he's very interested. Where do you shop at? <laughs> <laughs> no, every every I mean, after the hurricane, man, the thrift stores just went were were crazy. I mean, I feel bad about that. I know it's because people like lost lost all their stuff, but I was about all these suits and it's like you know, isn't that weird now too? Like thrift stores down here in New Orleans are terrible right now. Like everything is so overpriced and like there's just nothing good except yeah. for like novelty T-shirts. Yeah, but I mean, you know, so I guess that's part of the whole like character part that actually happened over a decade, I guess. Right on. So, Cole, um, that kind of brings us up to, we're talking like 2007. Is that about when you came to town? Uh, yeah, I moved here, I think, around 2006 due to your full-time community service work before I started bartending. So, I guess I started around 2007, and that was the year I did, I was bartending at Commander's. Cool. So, that's like first menu at, at France 75 bar a couple years after the storm. Um, when was the first time you went to the France 75? I don't think I went to the French 75 bar for probably a couple years after that. Mm-hmm. I don't really rem- I honestly don't remember my first visit to the French 75 bar, but I do remember just hanging out with Chris. Not again, not not a first time, but uh <laughs> for, for at the risk of oversharing, uh Chris started dating a, a pretty good friend of mine <laughs> around that time. So we just wound up hanging out a lot. So I never, I didn't really know Chris Hanna, celebrity bartender, <laughs> for a couple of years after I knew Chris Hanna, guy who's fun to go to pool parties with. <laughs> is, that, is that weird then? Like, like, did you meet people who like knew who he was? Like, oh my god, you're such a great bartender. And you're like, what? Is he? <laughs> <laughs> the guy dating my friend? <laughs> uh, no, not really. I mean, everyone's got a thing. So, I mean, it was weird that I was like, wow, he's, uh, he's, he's got this copy of a book that he's in. <laughs> like, there, it wasn't like, there was a bit of a time I was like, how, wait, how many how many stories about this guy are there? This is <laughs> funny. Okay, um, but I'm like I said, if, if New Orleans is one of those places where you meet people just in social settings, and you don't you might not realize until years later that they are quote unquote somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll meet him. Uh, somebody like uh, Derek Friedman, who yeah. lives down the street, lives around the corner from from the bar here. He was a regular at the bar for years before I realized that he was Kermit Ruffin's drummer. Yeah. And then he was like, travel the world. He was, he talented was a, actor. A talented super actor. Talented musician. Was like, yeah, now, now he has a couple of bands that he's in on, uh, on his, on his own because, because uh, Kermit semi-retired. But it was like, oh shit, this, this guy, really, I, he's, he's, 
pretty famous. <laughs> but he was just a guy who came in and shot pool. You know, <laughs> that's awesome. So coming from uh, one bartender a night on the weekdays, and then having busy weekends at the French Seventy Five, um, with your reputation growing, with the reputation for the bars, cocktails, and hospitality, which we've touched down on previous episodes as well. Um, one of the things that's great about the French Seventy Five is I think you've really um, kind of um, put your own spin on it, and uh, every, the form of hospitality that's there really reflects your personality, Chris, which is just warm, inviting, understanding, empathetic. Like, it's 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 a very extremely comfortable room. It's one of my favorite bars to sit out in the entire world. Um, did you, would you say that, like, you know, after taking over, uh, menus being instituted, was there a point that it just took off, or was it gradual? Was there, like, just that, like, oh my gosh, we're so busy now, or was it just kind of, like, you know, incremental? Well, it was incremental with the city coming back as well. So, like, the more uh, people moved back and then the more conventions that started coming back, and then, like, them when, when the conventions coming and then doing their research, obviously they were like, well, we've got to go to this bar. And so everything, you know, everything just kind of kind of built. And we just, one person just could not handle that bar anymore, and especially with the service that we like to, like to give. And so it's like we went, started having two on the weekdays and three on the weekends and now it, i mean and, and then uh two years ago we have three on the weekdays and and four on the weekdays on the weekends right on and you've had the uh i, I think that you've uh had the pleasure of working with a lot of talented bartenders as well and served as a mentor for a lot of people like i think you've dragged some people by up by their bootstraps who yeah. definitely <laughs> didn't have any uh any experience or or whatnot um do you want to talk a little about uh about the people your style of training people or mentoring them and then maybe some of the people that you've enjoyed working with over the years? Uh, yeah, there was like uh, uh, Max and Kennedy, Cindy, uh, Cynthia Turner, obviously Hattie Kateri. <laughs> obviously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ali Kateri, Victoria Alper. I mean, these guys are now Christoph Dornham and Paul Gregoff. None of them had like kind of a clue of what we were doing. Mm-hmm. And then um, what, I, what I had to like talk to um, Hattie and Max and about, was uh, their behavior outside the bar? You know, they were part of the new school, and I was like, you know, I don't, I don't like talk about about any any other bartenders, but <clears throat> you're gonna be polite and not like I know more than you mm-hmm. when you work in this bar and wear this jacket. You know what I mean? So you're, you're gonna help guests get along with their stay, talk about their drinks if they're wrong, you correct them in a polite way. Mm-hmm. It's never like you don't use your education over anybody, and then they'll totally agree with that. But no, I mean, obviously, Hattie's been a rock, and then these guys um, were really, really happy to to like keep this bar pushing, man. I mean, I just keep thinking of that little rectangle on Bienville, and you know that could, you know. Yeah. So um, now that the bar's established, and I mean, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention um, you guys got honored with the James Beard Award for outstanding bar program a couple weeks ago. Uh, so congratulations on that, real quickly. I Thank think uh, personally for me, um, that's that's great. I don't think we get recognition, and we don't have that sense of you know, uh, a, a point that we can point at and inspire the new bartenders in the city. But I think that's that's a very great thing that, like, we can be like, you know, there is something in New Orleans. There's something that's not just, like, tails in the cocktail, basically, that right. we can say, like, it's like this is we, – we do good stuff down here. It's that sometimes I don't know if that's, like, you know, apparent to a lot of people. Um, so with that being the case now, like, you know, James Beard award-winning restaurant – um, I think you've had people you've been able to mentor who didn't really know what's happening. You know, um, are you having people come to you now who want to work at the French 75 because of the reputation or they're trying to make a reputation or do you get people who are like, oh, I'd love to work there. And like, you know, you get that sense that like they're, they're after something more like trying to just elevate their careers. Um, I don't know about elevating their careers, but I know, I know what you mean by, by what you're saying, but, I, but I have been getting like, uh, people who want to, who want to you know, had the experience of like of working in the bar because of its, you know, it's pretty well known now around the world. And it's been really, really cool. I mean, I just feel bad about how small it is, you know, I kind of mm-hmm. wish it was a larger bar. It's like you can only have two bartenders and a server. Mm-hmm. There's only one well, you know, <laughs> but I mean, like I always, you know, you know, Facebook messages, hey, a friend's moving to town. But I, you're right. It has been like there's been an uptick in people wanting to to work at the bar. It's going to be really nice when people want to work at the bar for like what you're saying is like, you know, the whole thing after you get out of chef school, you got to work one place for a year and then have that on your resume. That's kind of, that's going to be pretty, that's going to be pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) When I look at the, what the, what I'm curious about what it actually means to you that this bar program that is very much your creation in a lot of ways, and you're continuing the legacy of a bar program that's been there for a long time, but for like you said, for the last 13 years, this has been a bar that you're working at, and for the last 10 years, it's been your bar. 
in in a lot of ways. And I'm curious what that means to you. I want to say that when when it says outstanding bar program, I think for me the the thing that's really outstanding about the French 75 bar because there are a lot of bars that have excellent cocktails. Of course, the French 75 bar does, but that's no longer something that makes a bar stand out. There are cocktail, there are excellent cocktails and excellent cocktail bars in most major cities now. So it takes something more than that. And I think what really makes the French 75 bar stand out is both its history, but really its commitment to service. I mean, people talk so much about now that service is the new hot trend. It's, we've talked about that pretty much every, every week on this podcast. It comes up That's at one awesome. time or another. But the fact that that it's attached to that sort of haute creole, old school, we will do anything for our guests kind of service that it's imbued in that culture that, that you seem to have taken to so naturally because you're very accommodating and very, very earnestly want to make your guests happy, don't want to lord your knowledge over them. I think a lot of other bars and a lot of other cocktail bars specifically are trying to play catch up on that. They're trying to learn how to be nice and gracious and deferential to guests. And I think that's something that's come both instinctive to you because of your personality, but also is a natural fit because of the style of restaurant that the bar is attached to. And I think that, for me, is what makes French 75 Bar truly an outstanding bar program. Uh, can you can you speak to what, to you, makes it an outstanding bar program and what the, what the award really means to you and for you, if anything? I, I could not even come close to saying that. Better better than what you just said. <laughs> I mean, you're, actually, you're absolutely right. It's, I mean, it isn't, it isn't the drinks, you know? I mean, yeah, we make balanced drinks. We talk about what makes the drinks balanced. We, everybody needs to be educated on the spirit so that when they have conversations with the guests, they can talk to the guests. It is all about that service that, um, that people should expect when they go there. I mean, we've been written about in like so many magazines and newspapers, you know, and, and, um, what it, what it, what it is for me is like, um, people are, are watching. And so like these people are serious. James Beard, you know, they don't just give the, this award away. It's like they're saying, okay, who's, con- who's able to continue doing this? And it's like, it's like a it's like kind of like a life achievement award, you know. It's like if you can keep doing this at the same level, and have all of every every part uh, click, you know. It's like everybody who works in the bar is just as knowledgeable whether they're serving the drinks. Because I mean, I tell everybody, it's like we all serve tables. I mean, I go to the, I go I serve I have carry a tray every single night. It's like everybody needs to have the exact same service, no matter who drops off the check, the drinks, or whatever, who makes the drinks. Um, and if you ha- and I, you have to have done that for. I mean, I guess a long period of time, and just everything has to be the same. Because these guys, the, the judges, you know, they go to your, they go to the bar, and they'll go to the bar when I'm off, you know, and they're just like, oh, is, is it is it the same? Are they treated the same? Are they, you know, uh, you know, same hospitality? I know that the word's like becoming a bad word now. I saw on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, any, Bobby Hugel. <clears throat> yeah, I know. But um, I really want to. I, I really am going to record this podcast because of what you just said. Because you completely nailed it. But also, it's uh, it's. It's like kind of a testament to it's like you know I'm, I'm biking back from work you know years ago and I'm like do I need to leave man do I need to like open my own, my own bar do I need to you know it's like am I going to continue working here and so I just believed in that room it was just too it was just too beautiful to let it rest on its laurels the first time I saw it I was just like this is gorgeous you know what I mean and then a lot of places I mean I'm not going to name any but you know they're just like they just knew guests were going to come in just because they were there and it's like you, no you got to work for it right you know and um so and i think about like all the other stuff it's like how many times i've been able to i mean had the you know the honor of like representing new orleans in hong kong russia france you know indonesia and it's like you know the more that that mentioned like your name then i'm a judge you know i get to be a judge for world's 50 best bars you know spirit awards and it's like all of that you know put together it's like puts the bar which might not even be making the best drinks in the, in the, you know, obviously not in the country, but I mean, maybe not even in, in New Orleans. I don't have a problem with that. It's like everybody has to have a good drink and good service. And, um, like everything, all that put together is why that we ever made like the, the, the uh, the long list. And then they get, they put, they, the judges go and they say, well, who's going to make the short list? And then next, you know, you're in the Lyric Opera House with the most, I mean, the most amazing community of people. And I look, you look around and it's like, this is really, truly special. Yeah. So that was like, I mean, obviously I, I'm never going to win anything higher, more amazing than that James Beard. Right. Yeah. I, I don't think there is a, there is a higher award in our industry at the moment, really. Yeah. Um, okay. So full disclosure. So you're sitting in the room with the Dead Rabbit, Bar, right. Bar Agricole, <laughs> and Cure. Did you think you were going to win? I, I believe that. <laughs> the outs- the outstanding bar program again 
was not necessarily looking for the best drinks. They were looking for a consistency on every level of what we're supposed to be doing in a bar, which I mean, telling you what, what Cole just, I wish, I wish, I wish I had that written down. <laughs> be trying for the next awards. Yeah. <laughs> Cole Newton. I mean, you, you nailed it. I mean, that's exactly. So I got to be honest with you. I thought when I think when I, when I just made the comment about how I've like been able to travel, do this, do that, you know, in so many magazines, whatever books and stuff, I was thinking, it was going to be a Clyde Common before, you know what I mean? Morgan oh, yeah, Collars. I was just like, it, right? you know, I buy Common. I'm like, man, I don't have a blog, dude. I'm too, I'm too, I'm running this. My house is too big. It's like a second job. It's like I don't have to, you know what I mean? Right. It's like all I'm doing is like bartending these five nights. He opened another. He know he opened another place. It's like all I, have, I don't even own the French Twenty Five Bar. So I was really thinking it was going to be Clyde Common, or it, because Agricole has been there four years now, it's going to be Agricole. Well, really? Yeah. See, I thought to me, like, and I haven't been to Bar Agricole, but that was the kind of the uh, the weird one on the list for me a little bit because I don't know, like, Clyde Common's been around for so long at this point, right. and like with Jeffrey Morgenthaler's reputation, and then Dead Rabbits just got a ton of money, and it's a great bar, so they, right. they tend to win everything. I mean, they they've been winning like best bar in the world with a lot of a lot of things or things like that, and then Cure's just been on shortlisted twice now. They're longlist once, and they were shortlist last year as well. Yeah, we were longlist. Uh Four times and shortlist three times. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I honestly like I, I kind of had this defeatist attitude like going to the the ceremony. Like I, I honestly didn't think uh, Clyde Combs would win just because for some reason they don't people just don't like giving Jeffrey Morgenthaler like his dues with awards. Like <laughs> he has been dissed at the Spirited Awards. Like I, I in my opinion, several times. Like oh, he's wow. been up for like Bartender of the Year. Uh, his book was up, and Clyde Commons has been up several times. And I don't think he's won any of those awards which blows my mind because yeah. he's you know somebody who i read his blog he was very inspiring to me for a long time to be like oh like like the whole pop shop carbonated cocktail pop-up we did yeah. was because i read jeffrey morgenthaler's oh, blog awesome. about carbonated cocktails so <laughs> right, right. it's like it's like how does this guy not get his dues like i mean he's doing fine for himself like don't get me wrong but yeah. it's just like when the awards come up maybe they're like oh well jeffrey morgenthaler doesn't need it. he's fine he's doing he's he works for playboy I think you're. I think you're right, but honestly, also, I after going there the first year, you know, the integrity of James Beard. I mean, I'm, and no offense, I do love Dead Rabbit. They were they were never going to give Dead Rabbit on their first one. Yeah, I didn't. If I I would not have put money on. I mean, I know that they're an amazing bar. Obviously, right. they won everything. Right. But James Beard is different. Yeah, I had a turn at some point when I uh, I was doing a lot of reading just about the James Beard. I was you know we had Neil on the show and. I was really excited for the Cure guys. It's like maybe, and we had two New Orleans bars up. So I was like, here we go. Here's that recognition for New Orleans. Yeah. And um, uh, I started reading articles, and like everybody was talking about how like French seventy five. Like that seemed to be like where it was like Eater National put something out there. I didn't about, read any, but yeah, <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's probably good that you didn't. But it, it was like everybody was putting their like money. It's like you know who deserves this best. Everybody said French seventy five. And at that point, I was kind of like, you know. It might actually happen. You know, <laughs> this could happen. We've been spurned before down here in New Orleans, but this might actually happen. It's uh, it is the most uh, special like moment <clears throat> of anything in my career. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just being just being in the room. To yeah. be honest with you, when you when you they have they have these. Um, I'm gonna have to write about it on Facebook because I, I don't think I gave James Beard their due afterwards. But I mean, we just went through jazz fest. But anyway, <laughs> uh, American classics. You know, and it's it's like they're like five minute documentaries. I don't know if they're online, but um, they are so they're like super special about these these uh, restaurants that like show the uh, like vernacular of flavor of the of the community in that area for so long. Mm-hmm. Family owned, different families, the family's history. It's like you're almost crying after each one of them. Well, one of them was um, in Jackson, and I, I was just like, oh, I'm definitely gonna go there one of my Sunday Mondays off. You know what I mean? So I drove up there and I and I walk in there and the guy sees my journal and he says, um, Oh, you, you did you come here so you can write about the food? I was like, uh no, actually I came here because I was in Chicago with you when you won the James Beard. I mean and they just went I mean, that whole little soul food place in Jackson. Yeah. This little cinder block, you know, place is they were like so like this guy came all the way here because he was in there and because you were there. Did you win? I was like, No, I didn't win, but you know, being there feels like you won. Right, right. So now I get to go back with the James Beard and Take it, take it. Hopefully, take a picture with him and, and his James Beard. It's gonna be pretty nice. cool. Well, let me know. I'll, I'll take that road trip with you. That's a pretty quick drive, I think. Well, we uh, we've we've had a lot of fun here today, everybody. But I think it's time for us to wrap things up, and we just like to give everyone 
ourselves and our guests, I guess. So everyone, the opportunity to, to have some quick thoughts as we, as we wrap up every episode. So Steve, do you have any parting thoughts for us today? Uh, my parting shots for the day. Um, you know, I just, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna say, Chris, thank you for everything you've done for our community. Um, I don't know if people tell you this enough, but, uh, you've been, uh, an amazing friend for me, um, from being greatly intimidated from you, uh, by you, <laughs> uh, the first, uh, first time I ever met you to, uh, going to Camp Runamuck with you, you know, being able to travel with you, beating a bunch of schmucks at, uh, at a beer pong <laughs> year after year. I, yeah, I y'all that. are still undefeated as a beer pong team, right? Uh, with an asterisk on that. Um, but, yeah. you know, whatever. <laughs> undefeated in my mind, which is the most important thing. Uh, so. Thank you so much for what you do in this community. I think you're an amazing ambassador. Uh, you serve as a role model. Uh, you should serve as a role model to all bartenders. You serve as a role model to me personally. So thank you for everything, and congratulations. You definitely deserve all the recognition that you've gotten. Thank you, man. That's, that's awesome, brother. And it's awesome to travel with you also. Yeah, we need. We haven't done it in a while. <laughs> I know. Me and Cole get to go hang out pretty soon. Hong yeah. Kong, dude. I know. HK. Yeah. I've never been to Hong Kong. I've never been to Asia, actually. But uh, Chris, do you have any uh, have any parting thoughts for us? Um, <clears throat> I didn't know this this thing was this much fun. I mean, I I, I see it <laughs> on Facebook, but now I'm actually gonna like uh, sit in. And but you might have to get like a phone uh, <laughs> call in coming uh, coming pretty soon. But you guys are awesome, man. I'm really I'm really happy to be here, Steve. You've been a beast. I'm glad you still live in town. I know your brother left, but yeah. you know, I'm I'm just. Uh, I'm I'm happy that I was able to talk about the Jameis beers because uh, I haven't been really been asked by anybody yet. But uh, you guys are dope. Thank you. We got the scoop. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of surprised that we're the first person, people to sort of in the, not that this is an official capacity, but the to that I would feel like journalists would be knocking down your door. Yeah, maybe they waited for after Jazz Fest. Yeah, hey, I yeah. guess there's a lot of noise in New Orleans this time yeah. of year. For, for but no, it's, it's really good to talk to you guys about it since we're, we're our, you know direct peers, really good you know good friends and stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm really I'm really honored that you consider us both to be peers and friends because you are sort of a, a titan in this in this community at least if not in the industry globally i think that the james beard award serves to recognize that i think <laughs> i doubt i'll ever achieve that sort of of, of industry recognition that that you have at, at a relatively you're not you're it's not like you're a, a spring chicken but you've got a lot of years left in this industry <laughs> you know you're not you're not <laughs> You're not on the verge of retirement either, so my hope is that you can continue to to do this kind of great work. And who knows, maybe there'll be another award that's even bigger in the future. Maybe you'll win that Oscar. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> that would be cool. Right All on. Right. Uh, well, we're going to sign off right here. Uh, Chris, why don't you, in case people weren't paying attention during this uh, podcast, <laughs> why don't you uh, tell us who you are one more time, when and where people can find you? Uh, Chris Hanna, French 75 Bar, um, Tuesdays through Saturdays. Alrighty, y'all. This has been another episode of Around with Stephen Cole. Thank you so much for spending the time to listen. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you'd like to hear in the future. I'm joined, of course, by my fantastic co-host. Mr. T. Cole Newton. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you soon.